Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. You like that? That's good. Hey, we can get that for you. You can just keep that video if you really, really like that. Welcome to CityWalk. If you're watching online, we're excited that you're here with us. I hope you're enjoying your weekend so far. Uh, As you walked in today and as you walk out, you'll see them as well. Uh, There are some invite cards for the pumpkin painting party. Uh, That is an event that we do. It's my favorite event we do. Uh, We do it every October. We usually do it the week before Halloween. And uh, we're going to be doing it this year in Sam Brennan Park, same place we did sports camp. And it's an event open to the entire city. And uh, we have inflatables, we'll have pumpkin painting, we'll have a lot of things going on that day. And so I want to just encourage you to take some invite cards, uh, hand them out to your neighbors. This is an easy invite for people. And it's really a good opportunity, just even for your own family, uh, just to have a really good time with your kids and with your family. And so uh, join us, and uh, you can also pick up a little sheet that... Uh, tells you some of the things we're going to need. We're going to need a bunch of candy, and so we're starting to collect candy over the next two weeks here at church. So if you could pick up a bag or two uh, and bring that with you, we'll use that uh, for the pumpkin painting party coming up. And so, like I said, a really, really good time for families, uh, and it's something that uh, has been a highlight for our church over our kind of young history. And so uh, for most of you, when you talk about families, for most of you, you, you know Uh, maybe a little bit about my family. You probably know that we have three kids. Uh, We have three kids. We have a a kid that is uh, two teenagers, and then we have a little one named Kate uh, who's eight years old. And you know this, if you're a parent of kids and you have a big gap like we do, you know that, man, there's, there's conversations that you have that you have differently with the kids that are older than the ones that are younger. And so, for instance, man, with our older two kids who are basically young adults, man, we'll have conversations about money, about God, about relationships, about their future. And, and man, we have adult conversations with them and, and try to help them with whatever the next season is of their life. But, but for our little one, Kate, she is honestly not a big fan of talking about the future. In fact, when we start to talk about the future with Kate, usually with tears in her eyes, she will quickly tell us she's never moving out, she's not getting married, she's never going to get rid of any of her stuffed animals, so don't even try to get rid of a stuffed animal. Uh, Just this past week, she told us she's not going to college, because in her words, why would I go to school when I don't have to? And in fact, she said she was instead going to work at Chick-fil-A, which I was like, hey, I can't be upset with that. That'll work. Uh, but, but our little one, man, she, she doesn't like to talk about the future. She doesn't want to talk about getting married. She doesn't want to talk about what's coming up. And in her mind, she's never moving out. But, but little does she know, and, and you know this, that as much as I would love her to 
stay with us for a really long time. And as much as I kind of like that she thinks boys are gross, there's going to be a day when that's going to change. There's going to be a day when she's no longer going to think that boys are gross. There's going to be a day that she forgets about her stuffed animals. There's going to be a day that she wants to move away. And there's going to be a day that she finds a guy to marry whose name is not dad. And it's just going to happen. She doesn't think that's going to happen now, but it's going to happen. And so with Kate, we have about 10 to 15 years where she's going to be in our home. And our goal during that time is we want to teach her to keep Jesus central to every single part of her life. And we know that our words, just like you if you're a parent, our words matter in that process. But more than our words, our example, and you know that. If you're a parent or you're obviously a child and you have parents, you, you've had different people in your life that have said some great things to you, but, but for most of us, what we remember is how someone lived their example. And, and so you understand the importance of an example and you understand the importance of, hey, my life impacts other people. And so here's a question that we've, we've begun to ask ourselves and as you think about how your life impacts other people, the question is, man, who's at the center of your life? Maybe, maybe more, more specifically in what we've really focused on, since relationships are such a big part of our lives, who's at the center of your relationships? Over the past few weeks, we've... we've kind of been talking through this and whether you're a follower of Christ or maybe you're here and you're kind of investigating faith or maybe you're kind of somewhere in the middle maybe you're dating someone maybe you're engaged maybe you're married maybe you're divorced you you find yourself in maybe different places one of the things that we've said over the last few weeks is this we've said the health of my relationships is determined by who's at the center of them the health of my relationships is determined by who is at the center of them. And we've talked about kind of who, what are the options on that. You have the option of ourselves. So, so in a lot of cases, and if we're honest, man, we would say, hey, there's a lot of times that I put me at the center of my relationships. And my relationships, at least my part in it, is kind of characterized by selfishness. But there's other times that, that if we're honest, we, we put other people in the center of our relationship and, and it becomes, a hey, I need to make that person happy. It becomes people pleasing. It becomes fear of man. And, and really, at that point, our relationship is probably characterized by a little bit of fear, maybe anxiety, because we're trying to keep other people happy. They're at the center. But what we've talked about and, and is a really good option that we've talked about is what if Jesus was at the center? What if we made Jesus the center of our relationships? Maybe our life would not be characterized by selfishness or fear, but could it actually be characterized by freedom? Over the last few weeks, as we've begun to kind of look at this area of different areas of our relationship, we've, we've talked about this whole idea of communication. And we asked ourselves a few weeks ago this question, who is at the center of the communication in your relationships? 
Because you and I both know that communication has a lot to do with how a, a relationship goes, whether you're dating or married or single. And so, man, who's at the center? But then we ask a, an uncomfortable question last week, and we asked this question. We said, hey, who's at the center of how you use money in your relationship? Because again, man, if I'm at the center of that, or you're at the center, or Jesus is at the center, man, money impacts our relationship in a really different way. But today what I want to do is I want to ask what for some of you is the most uncomfortable question of the series. And here's the question I want to ask you today, and, and I want us to think about this today, is, is this, who's at the center of the intimacy in my relationships or your relationship? Like, who's at the center of intimacy in your relationship? And, and for some of you, you may be thinking, are we even allowed to talk about sex in church? Is that like something that we, is even allowed? I mean, maybe you grew up in a, in a system where you thought, like, God was anti-sex except for the few times so you could have a few kids, but he was kind of against it, and he was definitely anti-talk about it. And maybe that's how you grew up, and it was kind of that, eh, you know, we all know it happens, and obviously there's some kids in the mix, but it's not something that we talk about like we talk about the football game at the dinner table. And maybe that's how you grew up. It was just something that, that just never got talked about, and any time it did, it was really awkward when Uncle Sammy would bring it up at the Thanksgiving thing, and it was just, yeah, just awkward. And maybe you don't know this, and, and you may find this interesting, is Honestly, the people that wrote the scriptures, could the Bible be talking about it at all? In fact, in almost every single book of the Bible, sex is talked about. And in some books of the Bible, it's talked about and it actually makes you blush a little bit how they talk about it. It's like, whoa, okay, don't make this a movie or it'll be X-rated. I mean, they talk about it like a lot in, in large sections of the Bible and, and in every book of the Bible almost at least a little bit. So it's, it's a something that was talked about. And this won't be a shocker to you, but God invented it. Like, duh, yeah, he's God. He kind of does a lot of those things. So he, he's actually the one that invented it. God invented, maybe he never thought of it like that. Like, yeah, oh, that's kind of interesting to think about. But God was the one who invented sex and he gave it to us as a gift. And unfortunately, and we all have a story for this or how it's affected us or, hey, how our family was kind of broken up because of this. Unfortunately, that gift has been abused and it's been used outside of God's plan and has brought devastation on the lives of a lot of people. And like I said, we all have stories. Maybe it's not you personally, but we, we, we all know people and we have family members. And, and it, at the end of the, the story, we, we see, man, a lot of the devastation and the affairs and the porn and all the stuff that goes with it was basically taking what God gave us as a gift and really using it in a way that he didn't intend it to be used. And so, so what does God say about it? And really, there's no better place to start than maybe at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 2 is when God actually starts to talk about it. So Genesis chapter 1, God, he creates the world, he creates animals, he, he creates uh, the things that are on the earth, and, and then he creates this guy named Adam. And so Adam's the first dude on the earth, and he's got a lot of pets, he's got a lot of animals, he's got a lot of trees, he's, man, he can 
go fishing and, and they're all the fish are his. To, I mean, he, he sees all this stuff. But, but in the midst of all that had been created, God looked at his creation and he said, something's missing. And here's how God said it. He said this in, in verse 18. He said, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Basically, I, Adam is not complete. He is alone. And for Josh right now, his wife is away for nine days, and he has four kids that are with him. So Josh could amen this very loudly, but we'll ask him not to. I mean, bottom line, man, it's not good for man to be alone. Man, we are not complete. We, we need a lot of help. And, and your wife is you know, kind of hitting you like, yes, you do, boy. You do need a lot of help. But, but, but Adam, God even knew that about Adam. He's like, buddy, you're, you're not complete yet. And so it says this, I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so this word helper is, is one who provides strength in the area that is lacking. It's not a demeaning term. In fact, the word helper in other parts of the scripture actually is a word used to describe God. And so God says to Adam, hey, Adam, you are not good by yourself. You are incomplete. You've got some strengths, but you've got a lot of weaknesses. I'm going to make a companion for you. Not a clone of you, but someone that will compliment you and that you will compliment. It's just not good for you to be alone. And so it goes on in verse 21, and it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man. And he slept. You ever been in surgery? It's like, count to ten. When they put the mask on, you're like, one, two, well, I don't think God used a mask because God's God, but he put Adam to sleep. And when he put Adam to sleep, it says, it says this, uh, it said, God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into woman and brought her to the man. It's so interesting to me that God used his side to create Eve. He didn't use the head. He didn't use the foot. And, 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 and maybe God was saying, hey, this is not a, there's not an oppressive relationship. This isn't you know, one person oppressing the other. This is a side-by-side -side partnership that this whole thing's going to be about. And, and it goes on in, in verse 23, and, and the man said, this one, as he, as he saw Eve, and he realized, wow, she's different than tigers and fish. This one's different. This one's like me. He said, the man said, this one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. And so again, Adam realized, man, he, he had seen all the animals and he had seen all the creation and none of them were like him. But now he sees Eve and he says, this, oh, she's like me. And, and he called her woman. And then God says this, it says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. It was in this moment that God introduces the first human institution that we know of as marriage. It's this idea that a man would and a woman would leave one family unit and they would unite to begin a new one. This was a, a covenant relationship between God that, that as, as God talked about it, there was a sense of permanence in this covenant. Covenants in our day are so 
Honestly, we don't even use that word a ton, but back in, in this time, man, when you made a covenant, a covenant had a lot of weight to it. And so as God's talking about this idea that a man and woman will leave their family unit and they will come together and make a new family unit, and that, that will be, there will be a covenant between the man and the woman and God. It's a, it's a permanent covenant. And this union before God is to be emotional, sexual, spiritual, relational. It's a, it's, a, it's a relationship that God has given to man and woman that is a gift. And it's a relationship that should take precedence over any other human relationship. And within that relationship, God gives sex as a gift inside that relationship. Later on in Scripture, when Paul's talking about this, later on in, in the New Testament, Paul, as he's talking about this subject, he, he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. You'll see it up on the screen. It says this, for this is God's will. So that's like, have you ever been in a spot in your life like, I wonder what God's will for this thing is? In just different areas. Ah, oh, my job. Should I go to this college? You know, what's God's will in this situation? And there's not a lot of places in Scripture that it literally says, this is God's will. But it does say it here. For this is God's will, your sanctification. So that word, that's a big Bible word. It basically means to set apart. That you keep away from sexual immorality. Another Bible word, sexual immorality. Basically, what God's saying is, hey, my will for you is that you keep sex in a marriage like I laid out. That anything outside of that marriage is not my will. Any, anything outside of that the marriage that I'm the one that instituted and I gave you sex as a gift inside that, anything outside of that is not part of my will. And then Paul goes on and he says this, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. And basically what Paul's point here is, is, hey, a follower of Jesus should view sex in a different way than those who don't know God. And maybe you're watching online or you're here this morning and you kind of, you push back a little bit. You're, you're pushing back in your heart a little bit. And, and maybe you're pushing back a little bit and you're like, dude, God, don't, don't box me in like that. Like, like you, do you really think, like this is super old fashioned to think that someone is not going to have sex until they get married. And then once they get married, they're going to remain faithful to that person for the rest of their life. Don't box me in. I mean, that is not real life. And if you have that opinion and if you're kind of pushing back, it's, I get it. It's a legitimate pushback. And, and honestly, if you're pushing back like that, then you are, are in the majority of people. Most of your friends, most of the people you run with, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, would agree with that. Like, that's, I know that's a great thing to aspire to, but man, let's just be real. That's not reality. That's not possible. And so as I read this, you, maybe you push back a little bit on this. And that's okay. I, I hope that at our church you is a church where you can feel free to be here and belong here, whether you believe what we believe or not. And I hope it's a place you can ask questions and push back. 
But let me, if, if I'm okay, if you guys are okay with this, let me push back a little bit with two questions. Maybe, maybe you're there, you're watching online, and you're like, ah, I just don't see that being reality, Chris. Uh, I, don't, I don't see that being reality. I don't think this thing's going to play out that way. I don't even think it's something to try to make play out that way. Well, let me push back a little bit with two more questions. And here, here's the first one. What if God knows more than you? And I'm not trying to be insulting at all with that, but I'm just, it's a straightforward question. What if God knows more than we do? So I, I have a little girl named Kate. I already told you about this. We, we have, uh, you know, a lot of little babies here. We were talking about Declan. Richard and I were talking about his little one uh, just outside when we were greeting people. I mean, we, we have our little ones that we love dearly. And, and here's, here's what we know. If my little girl, when she was one or two years old and she's eating at the table, she's eating her favorite whatever mush food that a one and a half, two-year-old eats with her little fork, and, and she's enjoying that, and then she says, hey, Dad, I, I want to go, and I, I want to uh, take apart the, I wanna take apart the uh, thing where we plug things in. I want to take apart the outlet with my fork. I'm like, well, I mean, that's an option, definitely. You, you, you probably could work that out. It's not going to if the electricity's on, it's really not going to go well for you. If it's not on, I mean, you could probably get the thing to, you know, come apart. You break it up a little bit. At, but, but obviously, I'm not going to let my little girl, as much as she wants to, and Dad, you're not fair. Don't box me in. I'm not going to let her go. Like, hey, here's your fork. Go take the plug apart. Of course not. That's like a, almost an absurd example. But, but what if God knows more than us? What if he, like a parent, just knows so much more? And so, man, what we think is like, oh, you're boxing me in a little bit. God's saying, oh, I actually know so much more than you. I love you so much. And I've seen the devastation that this thing, this gift I've given you causes you if you don't use it the way I tell you to. What if God knew how much hurt would come when we used his gift in a way that didn't he didn't intend it to be used. Let's look at some examples. Many, not all, but many of the children that fill today's orphanages and are part of the foster care program came into this world because people did not use God's gift the way he intended it. And that's where the church now hopefully can step in and be a part of it. But, but that's some, there's orphanages that are full of kids that somebody said, hey, we're going to do it in a different way than what God said, but we don't want to deal with the kid or we're not able to deal with the kid, and so we're going to get rid of the kid. And here's another one. The majority of people who choose to end their pregnancy, and this isn't a political statement, it's just reality. That life was started outside of God's design for the gift of sex. And it just is, like, again, not being political, that's just the bottom line. Most of those, those abortions that take place, they happened, and that life started 
When somebody was using the gift of sex in a way that God wasn't intended. And, and, and we could go down the line, and, and you could tell me of the devastation in your family because of, of, of somebody's affair, or somebody did, did this or that, or a relationship. And you could tell me about the baggage that, that you've seen, or maybe you have, because of sex being used in a way that God didn't intend it to. And so the question, whether we push back or not, the question that we could at least consider is maybe God knows more than us. What if he knows more? Which leads me to a second question. The second question is this. What if God has better for you than you can imagine? For some reason, like we, we think God is holding out on us specifically in this area. Like, like in a lot of different areas of life, we, we, we see God as this like dad up there that's like, yeah, I don't want to be too good to them. I want to hold back a lot of the good. And you know what? If they earn it enough, I'll let them. Like, like he's up there holding out on us. What if that's not the case? What if God actually has better for you than you can imagine? What if when God instituted marriage and made sex a gift to be enjoyed in marriage, he actually had your best in mind? What if God had better for you than an addiction to porn? What, what if there was something more to it than that? What if God had better for you? What if a loving relationship with one person for life was a treasure God wanted you to experience? What if God had more for you and better for you than you can even imagine? But, but here's the thing, and we know this, and this, this, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're investigating, this is, at least a, this is something to at least ask some questions about and just lean in because we, we definitely see some devastation that takes place by doing it one way. And so it's at least worthy of saying, is God's way legit, maybe? Here's the thing. When I put myself at the center of the intimacy in my relationship, I miss God's best, and I usually hurt a lot of other people in the process. And for some of you, you understand that. You have been hurt, or you have hurt other people as a result of Jesus not being in the center of this one area. We, we, when we started the series, I, I talked to you about a passage of Scripture that was super meaningful to me in Jeremiah chapter 2. And it's actually a, a passage that became meaningful to me when Lori and I were in marriage counseling. There, there's been a few times in our marriage, some have been preventative counseling and some have been counseling because we were in a tough spot and we needed some, some counseling. But, but this was a, a verse that I introduced to you at the very first message of this series that I think is so important for us to come back to. This verse tells us why we experience hurt and baggage because of our sexual choices. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. And this is God talking. He's talking to the nation of Israel. And he's talking to the nation of Israel with, with almost a broken heart because the nation of Israel has chosen to go their own way, kind of hand God off and to, to take on other gods. And so God is talking to them very straightforwardly about this choice. He says this in verse 13. He says, for my people, Israel, have committed a double evil. 
They have abandoned me. So, so my people, Israel, that I led out of Egypt, that I took care of for 40 years of the wilderness, my people, they've turned their back on me. They've abandoned me. And, and he says this, they've abandoned me the fountain of living water. I'm the unending source of life, joy, hope, wisdom. They've, they've abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And dug cisterns for, their, for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. You've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and you have chosen to replace me with cisterns. And, and what cisterns are, and I, I explained this a few weeks ago, is basically these, these large pits or wells that, that the people would build and they would, they would try to kind of cover them with plaster so they could hold water. And, and what God's describing, he's describing one of these cisterns where the, the plaster is all cracked and, and all the water that they collect in this cistern, because it's cracked, it, it doesn't even hold water anymore. And so what they're saying is, what God's saying is, hey, you have replaced me, the fountain of living water, the unending source of joy and life and hope and peace with a broken cistern that has, doesn't even have the capability of holding water. You've turned your back on me. See, the people of Israel moved God from the center of their life and tried to replace God with, with something that couldn't replace God. They tried to provide themselves what only God could give them in a way that wasn't God. And this is the very reason we struggle in our relationships. We don't trust God. Let's be honest. We don't believe His way is best. We don't believe He can provide for our deepest desires. We, we believe on some level that He's holding out. Like if I was to go all in with God, there's all kind of things I would miss out on because God's going to hold out on me. And so what we do, and we all do it, I've done this so many times in my life, we foolishly put someone else at the center of life. We turn our back on God, who is the source of all that we really want so that we can find some temporary fulfillment. And then we realize once we've kind of found that temporary fulfillment that it's so shallow and it goes away so quick. Which leads us back to the statement and a question that we started with today. The statement we started with was this. The health of my relationships is determined by who's at the center of them. And then it leads us to this question. So who is at the center of the intimacy in your relationship. Who's at the center? Are you at the center? Or is God at the center? See, no matter who you are or where you stand as it relates to faith, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, whether you're married, dating, divorced, engaged, this question of who's at the center of the intimacy in your relationship is a really big question that has a lot of ramifications to that relationship. And so who's at the center? So, so you, obviously you could put yourself at the center. You could say, you, man, I am. I'm at the center. And if I'm at the center, I do things my way, 
I do what makes me happy, and I do what makes me happy in the immediate. I mean, think about it. When we put ourselves at the center of any area of our life, and specifically this area, we're going to do what makes me happy now, what gives me fulfillment in this moment. Or is Jesus at the center? And if Jesus is at the center, we're going to do things his way, and we're going to trust him to make us happy. We're going to trust him for our happiness. We're not going to try to make ourselves happy by ourselves. Like, hey, God, you're, you, if I go your way, it's going to get rough, and I'm not going to like life. And so I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to put myself at the center. I'm going to do what makes me happy now. Like God can't do that. Like God can't bring even a much deeper fulfillment. And so who's at the center? I think that's, that's the first thing. You just got to, and I think it's a moment in, in life whether you're online or you're here this morning, that you just got to be honest with yourself. Like, let's not pretend. Let's not pretend that Jesus is at the center if he's really not. Let's just call it what it is. If, if, if in your mind you're like, no, I actually put myself at the center of this area, then just at least be honest. Be, because that, that's how I think the, at least the first step is just to say, just to call it what it is. But if you're here and you'd say, hey, man, Jesus is at the center, or, hey, I, I realize that he isn't, but, man, I, I want to put him at the center. I, I see how with him at the center of this area of my life and his plan for this area, I can see how, man, it's, it's a much better long-term plan, and I can see there's a lot of devastation if I don't use the gift of sex in a way that he called me to. And so, man, though I haven't always put Jesus at the center of this area, man, I, what would it look like? If I put Jesus at the center of this area, well, if you're single, it would look like being faithful in the waiting. It would look like putting Jesus in the center today, and then when God brings the right person into your life, you will be better prepared to love them and have a relationship that honors Jesus. And so be faithful in the waiting. If you're here and you're, you're already dating somebody or you're engaged, man, what, 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 what might this look like for you? If you were going to say, hey, Jesus, I want you to be central of this area. It would be trusting that God's way is best and, and keeping Jesus at the center. It would be making a decision up front that you're going to follow God's path for purity in your relationship. And, and here's the bottom line. You'll be unlike most of your friends. So just already know that. And that's okay. Jesus calls you to be different. He calls you to something better. He calls you to something that will be better for you in the future. Maybe you're married. And for you, what does this look like to keep Jesus central? It looks like remembering that God has given you a husband or a wife as a gift. And part of this special relationship is this physical union. And so do not believe the lie that there's something you're missing out on by doing it God's way. That's a lie that Satan tells you if you're trying to be faithful in your marriage, like you're missing out on something. And I would tell you, man, look ahead. Look ahead. What do you want your life to look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now? What, what, do you, what, what kind of example do you want to be for your kids? Look ahead. What, what do you want those family reunions to look like in 20 years? 
Do you want them to be awkward? Do you want them to, people just to be nice because they have to? Or do you want a home where God is central and where you have been a faithful example for your kids and their kids so that when those gatherings happen, man, it is special and not awkward because you got all these people that have made a train wreck of their life. And let's just, I mean, just, just a look at, I think so many times we get so focused on right now. And it's like, look, look up. What do you want your life to look like? And the decisions you make today in the area of purity are big. Like look up from your computer screen where you're looking at porn at the family portrait on the wall. That's more important than this. And just see it and like, like do something about it. Don't put up with it. Don't, don't believe the lie that you're missing out. Yeah, here's what you're going to miss out on, a healthy family. You're going to miss out on a legacy of faithfulness. You're going to miss out on an example in front of your son or daughter. They're going to have to look to somebody else to be that example because their mom or dad isn't. That's what you're missing out on. Don't, don't fall for it. Don't fall for the lie. And here's the thing. Right now, some of us, if we're honest, we look back and say, well, dude, I've blown it a few times in my life. That business trip, yes, it didn't go well. Yeah, the, I struggle with the porn. I, I, I've done this. Or, and here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing is Jesus came to give you a fresh start. He, he, he came to tell you, hey, man, I came. I, I, I gave my life for that sin so that you could have freedom. And so you don't have to think about this in, in, an, in a shameful way. You don't have to walk out of here feeling like, oh, no, you can walk out of here with freedom saying, Jesus, your way is best. I haven't always done it your way. I have some, I have some baggage and some devastation in my, in my path because of it. But today I'm deciding that your way is best. And because you died, because you, you gave your life so that you would pay for that sin when, when God looks at you. And this is so amazing. If you're a follower of Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you through the righteousness of Jesus. He sees Jesus good and right living instead of our mistakes and sin. And that's why Jesus came. And so you don't have to walk out of here like, oh, I blew it. It's over. No, Walk out of here saying, thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me, saving me, forgiving me, giving me a fresh start, because that's what he's come to do. It's such good news, and healthy relationships, they're available. They're available to all of us, and it just comes back to that question that we have to answer. We got to be honest with, is God's way best? Is his way best in our money? Is his way best in how we communicate in our relationship? Is his way best in our intimacy in our relationship? Is his way best? And if you're here and you'd say, yes, but man, I, man, I struggle sometimes. I know it in my head, but man, I struggle to apply it to my life. I'd encourage you to maybe write this down and just repeat this in your heart to God as a prayer this week. And simply this, I believe your way is best. Help me trust and obey you. 
You, you have to maybe remind yourself as you spend time with God, even on your way to work, and it's like, today I just need to remind myself, and God, I need to just say it out loud that your way is best, and I need you to help me. I need to, you to help me to trust you and obey you because I, I'm so tempted to veer away from your best and your way. And here's, here's the last thing I'll say. If you were to look around this room, one of the gifts God's given you are the other people in this room. And here's what I mean. Like, we don't, we're not supposed to do this alone. We're not supposed to try to be faithful to our wife or husband or be, be, a, be the right type of couple in our dating relationship. We're not supposed to just like... I'm going to grip my teeth and be as disciplined as I can and try to make all the right decisions. No, we have each other. God's given us each other to help us, to encourage us. That's why I tell people, man, city groups are so important because it provides you a group of people that you see every week that you can pray with. You can share your struggles. They can share theirs. And you can go to the scriptures and find answers to help. We need each other. And so I'd encourage you, if you're not in a group, jump in a group. And when we're in a group, it helps. We have other people in our life reminding us when we start to believe a lie. And it's so important that we have that because we believe lies on a regular basis. We're at least tempted to. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we, we close up. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you would say, hey, Chris, man, Man, I've blown it. I, I've blown it, man. Maybe you say, I've blown it this week. I've blown it in this area. I've, I've struggled uh, with, with a porn addiction. I've, I've done some things that just I know don't fit what God's best is. And man, I, I just own that. And, and maybe right in this moment that you would just tell God that. that you, obviously, he already knows, but just tell him, God, I, man, I, I haven't done things your way. I've gone against your best in this area and just tell God and then just in the quietness of this room or if you're watching online just ask God for for help like God I, I haven't done things your way all the time but man I I want your best I know your ways best and so I need your help I need your courage. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need you to help me with self-control. And God's word tells us in James that, man, if any of us lack wisdom, if we ever lack it, that we can come to God and he gives liberally, the Bible says. He gives, man, he has so much of it, he's ready to give it if we will just ask and believe that when he gives it, it's the best. It's the best way. He says, I'll give you as much as you need if you'll just believe. And he says, when you don't believe, you're, you're like a ship that's in, in the waves. You're tossed to and fro. And maybe some of you can relate with that. You just feel that in your life. You're back and forth. And maybe today's the day you just say, God, your way is best. And I want to have healthy relationships. But I know I can't be at the center if it's going to be healthy. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that we would do what you're telling us to do. I pray that we would repent of what you're telling us to repent of, that we would turn from it, that we would get honest.
And Lord, that years from now, we would be able to look back and say, you know what, I made a decision that God's way is best. And because of that, I have a legacy of faithfulness for those closest to me. In Jesus' name, amen.